You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum. I wanted to ask a question uh, on this pl- platform. If marital relationship does not exist between a husband and a wife for over several years, how long is the nikah valid for? What do you do if your husband uh, not give you haq mahal? They say parents should lead by example, but what if your significant other half is not setting a good example in some aspects? For example, asking children to read the Mass but not following that themselves. How then do you bring that Tarbiyah into the children if it's stronger from one parent rather than both as a team? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum listeners. You're listening to Cradle to the Grave show. I'm joined by Sheikh Amr Jamil. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you so much for joining us. And I've got Umran Amin as well uh, joining us. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much. So, as you know, the Cradle to the Grave show is one that we've been doing at the weekends. Um, and the idea is really to cover topics that are relevant to us as we go throughout life. Now, last week we talked about birth, uh, many issues to do with um, the birth rituals, contraception, um, miscarriage, stillbirth, um, terminations and abortions. And this year, uh, and today, this evening, we're going to talk about marriage part one. So a, a big juicy topic, um, as you can imagine. So we'd really be keen to uh, hear from the listeners in the sense that you mainly on social media, because um, our time is so limited, just till um, we'll be here until about 2am. Um, but hopefully we're going to cover a number of topics. As we know, as I said, it's marriage part one. So that implies that there'll be a part two next weekend covering various other aspects. Um, but t- today we're going to talk a bit about really the, the process of finding a spouse, um, maintaining a healthy relationship, you know, the seven-year itch, you know, when may- perhaps marriages are getting a bit stale, talking about remarriage, and we'll touch upon divorce as well. So quite a lot of topics that, inshallah, we can cover. And uh, we're really honoured to have Sheikh Amr Jamil. As many of you will know, Sheikh Amr is not just um, one of the co-founders of the iSyllabus course, his other big specialty and focus is on family family work, family therapy, family law, Islamically as well. And most of that is done through Unity Family Services. Uh, Sheikh also does courses throughout the year for people that are both uh, looking to get married, but also people that are already married and looking to, in terms of, um, you, you know, focus on, you know, maintaining a healthy uh, marriage and par- partnership. Um, so he's more than well qualified to, to discuss this topic. So, Sheikh, um, let's just get cracking, really, because obviously we're not going to cover your whole day course in an hour and a half. Um, so I'm going to perhaps touch on some areas and perhaps be um, guided by the listeners as well if they do want to um, post on social media and, and have any particular questions. But let's talk about the whole process from the beginning about finding a spouse now, as I was coming in, I was speaking to a young person and I said, look, what questions would you want to know about finding a spouse? And one of the things he said was, well, where do you start? You know, how do you um, find somebody? And he, he's still quite young, you know, coming towards the end of high school. Mm-hmm. So he's already thinking about it. So, um, how you know, I guess, what do you look for in a spouse and how do you start that process? And when's the right age to get married? Yeah, so, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah, wa rahmatullah. 
Salaam alaikum. Walaikum I thought it was the <laughs> address to the listeners, but walaikum salam. So the question you're asking, I mean, actually spend a whole day exploring that whole question because I think from my experience I found that um, very often when we go to maybe listen to a khutbah or listen to a talk we're given very general advice um, however with the way things are going in our time with the advance of so many cases of divorce I started to look a lot more deeply at um, issues and why people end up in that kind of situation and one of the um, first steps, like I said, I think in the last program was that you one way or one of the ways of preventing divorce is to ensure that people don't marry the wrong person. Um, so if you marry the right person in the first place, then the chance of that marriage um, surviving is going to be higher. If you've if you've married the wrong person from the word go, it becomes more difficult. It doesn't mean it can't be achieved, but it just becomes more difficult. So the first step would be. Let's help people right at the beginning. And um, like I said in that course, or like I discussed in the course, <clears throat> it's actually, if you want to do this properly, it's quite a, a long, deep process. If you, want to, if you want to really do it properly, because one of the first questions we have in the course is, I ask, why do you want to get married? What is your intention behind getting married? Because as you know, the very first hadith in Bukhari is what? Actions are only but by intentions. And every person will have what they intended. So everything comes down to the beginning. You have to start right from the beginning. Why do I want to even get married? What's my intention behind this? Because if you don't have that correct, then that can actually have an impact. And like I said to you, I think, last week, um, I have so many conversations. I can't remember what I say when I say it. Um, but I was talking about a case where uh, it was a couple who had been married for 10 years, had three kids, and um, I could see that, you know, that they are quite different. And when I probed with the, the, the guy and asked him, look, when you got married, what was your primary reason for getting married? And he, he said, I'll be very honest with you, Sheikh, it was purely for looks. You know, so some people <coughs> have gone in just purely on physical attraction. That is their impetus to get married. So when that... F- when that wears off or when that's no longer the case then the reason or the foundation of that marriage is no longer there so the first thing would be uh, what to look for in a spouse and the, the the answer that you usually get when you ask somebody if someone says I'm looking to get married the first thing I'll ask them what are you looking for and nearly nine times out of ten they'll say to me I'm looking for a good sister good practicing sister a good well I usually just get a good sister <laughs> or a good brother so, as the brother saying, I want a good sister. I understood two, th- two things from that. One, you're not looking for a brother. Okay, so that's one hurdle we've uh, overcome. And the second is, you're not looking for a bad sister. Now, no one in the right mind is going to say, Sheikh, I'm looking for a bad sister. In fact, the, the, the badder, the better, right? They're obviously going to say, I want a good sister. So, what I try and make them explain is that that comment doesn't, hasn't helped me one iota in understanding what do you want. And this is the problem with people because they don't know what they're looking for. They then people can't help them either because they're so vague. You know what is good to me is not good to you. It's not good to him. I mean, we're, we're, we're it's, it's about perspective, isn't it? How do you balance what is good? What is practicing? I mean, it, it means different things to different people. So, 
So one of the things is is getting them to actually understand that yes, I know you've heard in in, uh, in marriage talks you marry a woman for four reasons and you know her wealth, her her beauty, her rank, but marry her for for her religion. What does that mean to you? We hear this hadith all the time, but what does that mean to you? So we try and break that down, go a lot more deeper into that actual topic. <coughs> because it means different things for different people. So a part of it is them becoming, actually, have a thought about this. Because this is what it is, you know, I'm just looking for a good sister. And I say to people, you've not thought, you've not actually put any thought into this. And this is a, this is a decision that's going to affect the rest of your life. If you were if you were going to go to a university, right, to do a course, would you just say, eh, "I'm just looking for a good university"? Any uni- any good university will do. No, you you're going to do your research, aren't you? You're going to look at what are the, you know, what are the different universities, what kind of offer, courses do they offer, what's the job process, blah blah. blah. So that's just a that's just a, a, a something you're going to study. This is your life. This is the rest of your life. How much thought should go into that whole process? But even on that aspect, you know, <coughs> you know, when you. Th- you know, from my experience, when you speak to people, often what they'll say is, "Look, if they, you know, so it's often when they're younger, you know, perhaps in the early twenties, and they say, actually, I'm going to start off with somebody with all four of those criteria. So, somebody who's wealthy, beautiful, got rank, and piety, and then, you know, ten years later, they're still kind of looking. But you know, they, I guess what them and their parents and families might say is, let's start off with aiming high." You know, let's try and get all of these aspects. And is that a reasonable approach to take? Because you might say, actually, what are you looking for? I'm actually looking for a good sister who's wealthy, or, you know, and vice versa, obviously. But um, I think the thing is, the thing is, what we do in the course is we try and get people to, okay, you've got all this criteria, but how do you, how do you prioritize it? What's more important than, than than the next thing? So, if you don't have that, then you're looking for thirty things, and until you find somebody's got those thirty things, you're not going to get married. So what if the person's got 25 things out of 30 things? What if they've got 20 things out of 30 things? You know, but not everything's the same rank. So yeah, so it's all about prioritising. And again, like I said, <clears throat> getting them away from this general statement of a good sister and just being specific. I'm actually looking for A, B, C, D, E, F, something very specific. But before you get to that point, you cannot do that until you understand yourself. And a lot of people don't actually understand themselves. And so what, what do you mean? Can you give an example? <coughs> so I remember one of the th- one of the things that when we did we did a, our counselling uh, certificate, a lot of it was based on self reflection, um, and making you understand yourself. So if a person doesn't understand what makes them tick, if a person doesn't understand what are their principles, what are their values, then they're not going to know what kind of person should I be looking for. So once they understand themselves better, then they'll have a better idea of, ah, okay, so this type of person is the kind of person is probably going to fit in with me. Then that helps them go to the next stage of, okay, what am I actually looking for? So there's a whole process of this. I mean, I'm just doing it very quickly now, but as a whole, I mean, I spent a whole day going through this and really making people, helping people to home down into what is it that they are looking for. Because when, you know, if, if someone says to you, um, I'm looking for a good sister. I give you a good sister, and you say, "Oh, she's too short." But you didn't tell me. Are you looking for a tall sister or a short sister? Or you know what I mean? So what happens is people then just get fed up because they're just like, you know, anyone I throw at you, you just like got oh, got this issue, got that issue. So from the beginning, if you just told me four things or five things, then at least I can think of okay, who fits in with that. Otherwise, if you just say to me a good sister, I'll send you half of Glasgow because I think everyone's good. <laughs> 
So where, where does that fit in with, I guess, the expectations of the individual <coughs> and the expectations of the family? Because even if somebody comes to understand, actually, this is what I'm looking for, their mum or their dad may very well have very, very different expectations of what they should be looking for. And that can often lead to conflict then, because if mum and dad are looking and finding people that fit their criteria but don't they don't fit your criteria, then that's going to lead to some conflict, isn't I it? I think there's a spectrum. There's a, there's a spectrum, right, where sometimes um, the parents are, 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 are fine. They're just saying, look, we want these kind of things have got to be there. Sometimes it's quite reasonable. Sometimes it's very unreasonable. There's got to be, um, oh, it has to be in this age, it has to be in this city, it has to be this particular career. You know, you, you, what you do is you home it down so much that, you know, you've got ten people in the city that you can choose from, and if you don't find those ten, the ten people, then you've got a problem. So you do get people that get very pernickety and um, very unrealistic, and um, people need to be a bit more pragmatic. Look, at the end of the day, wake up, look in the mirror, and what do you see? You don't see somebody that's perfect. You see somebody got some good points, got some bad points. You so yourself have good points and bad points, but you, if you're looking for perfection, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in this world. You're gonna, you're not going to get everything. And parents need to understand as well that they're not going to get everything just because a person does a particular career. And some people say we only marry doctors. You know, you're a doctor yourself. You know, when you're studying Muslims, you get some practicing Muslims. Some people were drinking alcohol. Some people were fornicating. You know, you get all sorts of people in that in that career. So. There's no hadith about doctors will enter paradise before other people. You know, it's got nothing to do with what career you are. It's about the person's... And the Prophet and he didn't focus on the person's career, he didn't say marry people from this background. What was the, 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 the emphasis? The emphasis was on good character, on the person's connection with God. Because ultimately that is what, um, you, you know, when you live with somebody, it's their character that you're going to live with. I had a, a very year long time ago, there was a, a friend of the family who's a doctor, and she was married to a doctor, but he was violent towards her, and she left that marriage. So her marrying a doctor did not benefit her. Had she married someone of good character, yes, it would have benefited her. May have not been a doctor, but that's what she would have uh, benefited from. So it's the, it's the character. You've got to look at, again, in an ideal world, yes, you want everything, but you've got to prioritise. And the thing is, if you're saying, well, it's like um, one brother said, Sheikh, I'm looking for, he said to this, not me, said to another Sheikh, he said, um, I'm looking for someone who's you know, extremely beautiful, extremely wealthy, extremely educated, extremely respectful, extremely this, extremely that. And he goes, uh, brother, he goes, if, if I found a sister like that, I'd marry her myself. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, which planet do you yeah. live on? Have you ever actually looked at your Bhutan in the, in the, in the mirror? <laughs> You know, but what 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 happens? I mean, I guess in a, an ideal scenario, in reasonable families, you know, you can work it out and get a bit of um, cooperation and understanding. But what happens when it comes to a bit of conflict? So, for example, suppose you're um, a brother or a sister, and you're you found somebody, and your parents don't improve. It, it, what, what do you do? Do you need their permission? Can you go ahead, or how do you get round? It depends. Issues? It depends on what is their objection. Is the objection a valid Sharia reason or not? You know, is it because the person's so, so what, that, what would be valid Sharia? For example, the guy's irreligious. He's a fasir, right? Somebody you know drinks alcohol or something. 
or, or something like that, negligent, negligent in his uh, in his dean. So the father's got an, uh, an objection because he thinks this guy, you know, is not going to over a long term. He's going to he's not going to look after my daughter properly. That's a legitimate uh, reason. But if it's you know the guy, nothing wrong with the guy, excellent character. Everyone who's um, he's spoken to about thumbs up, thumbs up. Everyone's thumbs up. The only objection is he's not from the same cast. That's not a sharia reason to, to reject somebody. Let me give you a scenario then. Suppose um, suppose a brother finds a sister who wears hijab and she's good practicing sister and the, and the family are actually not very religious and they say actually not into all this hijab stuff and you know, not particularly keen on this. What 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 should they do then? And the day look, um, the 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 dean is is uh, greater than anyone. There's a hadith that says, "La ta'ati li fi There is no obedience to the created where there is disobedience to the creator. So if they're asking you, no, we don't want a girl with a hijab. A hijab is a fundamental. It's a it's a obligatory aspect of the deen. And so the brother would be in the in the right here to say, no, I want that. And then the person has to just put their foot down. Do they need permission from the parents to to marry? Well, on a technical point, no. But that doesn't. I mean, as you know, there's certain things um, that might be permissible. It doesn't mean you just say, okay, that's permissible. That's I'm going to go and do it. So obviously, my advice would always be look, speak to your parents. Um, speak to somebody who can maybe like an imam or somebody that they would listen to, uh, maybe like a family elder, get them on your side and go and get them to speak to your parents and convince them and if you can uh, bring it about you know, just within the family through family uh, connections it's much better but ultimately if um, they're, they're not going to um, they're not going to shift, I mean especially for a male and he can support his family and all the rest of it. He can just say, look, this is the person I want to marry. And the thing is, I would say in that kind of situation, you should get maybe some advice from outside because he might think there's no issues, but there actually might be issues. And it's not ideal. It's not an ideal situation because if there's bad relations between the girl and her in-laws from the beginning, that's not a good um, It's not a good foot to start off in because at the end of the day you're going to have children, that's going to be their that's going to be their grandfather, grandmother, that's going to be their uncle, their cousins. And these are relationships which you need around you and you know yourself, you're a married man. When you're young you think oh, it's fine, I'll be fine, but no, you do need to, you need a support mechanism, you need family around you, you need other people around you. So it is important to, to understand that it's not the be and end all, but however, the family does play a, a big role and you do need to look at the type of family that you're marrying into. One thing is that obviously when people are starting to, are encouraged to do a bit of research about their potential spouses, um, and I know some people have said, look, you know, um, I need to know everything about this person's past because if, you know, it's about trust, isn't it? And if I find out something later on in life, um, you know, five years into the marriage that, you know, there's skeletons in the closet, you know, that would really break me. So I need to know everything up front. And some people would say, actually, no, you know, if people, you know, have made mistakes and they've changed, then she, you, you can't ask that sort of stuff. So what would you say in terms of when you're looking for this spouse, you're doing your research, and suppose somebody says, actually, this person used to do this X, Y, or Z, and you should know about this. Is that something you should legitimately try and find out, or is it best not to? Um, so I've heard two opinions from scholars on this. Um, some ulama are of the opinion that, just like with any sin, 
when you make when you do a sin and you repent from it you put it behind you you put it in the past and you don't talk about it you don't bring it up um, and what we should do is just look at the, pe- the way people are now so if somebody I remember this happened um, in a case where um, a proposal would come a rishtad come and the guy 10 years ago was involved in drugs and went to prison for it but what happened was he's a completely reformed character so today he's not the person he was 10 years ago um, so should that should that you know make a difference um, you know and people are entitled to have a second chance at life and I said look well is the person completely changed and they've been like that for a while yeah well you've got to take per- the person they are the way they are now and not where they were 10 years ago um, so if it's uh, if it's like general sins like that, we look at the person the way they are. This the this the particular sin of fornication because it's intrinsically linked to the benefit of marriage. That's where I've heard two perspectives. One perspective is that like again, it's like any other sin. If the person's repented, it was in the past, and they put it behind them, they change their ways. We look at the person the way they are, and they're they're um, not obliged to. They're not obliged to um, uh, say um, that they've sinned. Uh, the other perspective is that this particular sin, because it's got to do with the benefit of marriage, virginity, um, a person might not be as inclined to a non-virgin. Um, this should be disclosed. So I've heard these two perspectives um, from from Ulama on this. Okay. Um, and what about this aspect of? Uh, when you found somebody now and often you know you talked a bit about looking matching up you know what each individual is looking for and often you know in my experience when people are looking it's it's very much a a bit of a paper exercise to say okay does he pray or for example has he done this has he got a good job has he got good education good family and this whole aspect of personalities Mm. often gets missed out and what I mean by that is I guess you know especially in my line of work, is that you see people, I mean, people have very different temperaments and personalities. So you get some personalities who are quite sociable, extrovert, etc. You get some people who are very introvert. Um, and sometimes those personalities can often collide or conflict. Mm. Um, and that almost is never talked about in terms of matching up the personalities. So how important is that um, in your experience? And what can people do around that? I mean, how do you get... So there might be... You know, often you see, you know, I know many cases where have been good practicing brothers and sisters, very lovely individuals on both sides, but they just didn't get on for whatever reason. So this whole idea of personalities, can you talk, tell us a bit about what that is about, what we need to look for, what people should be thinking about, but practically how do we start to match yeah, up these I personalities? Mean, I think compatibility is, is important. <clears throat> um, and like you said, uh, personality comes into this. Uh, this is where... I mean, I've been thinking about this for a long time, um, and what what really, in terms of solution solutions as a as a community, one obviously is education, which I'm already doing. But the other thing I'm thinking is that a follow up from that should be that not only do we educate people, but we help people. So when they're engaged, we have some sort of premarital counselling where we sit with them, just ask them fundamental questions, and have you have you have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And um, what about this scenario? How would you look at that? How would you how would you look at that? And just basically from that, and get out of them. You know, have they actually thought about this properly? Is it the, really the person to connect with? Asking them questions. So I think sometimes having that extra support um, 
from I mean to be honest there's so many things that we need in terms of support in our community now and this is why um, like I was saying to you um, you know we need to start understanding that there are needs in the community and they need to be properly funded and resourced and going forward I mean unless you, people want to accept the, the divorce rate the way it is because it's, it's, it's if you're working in that field it's crazy um, so if we're serious about trying to sort this out then we have to realise there's a problem there. So the first thing is to understand there's a problem. So, um, yeah, personalities are important. And again, if if they've done that uh, thing of understanding who they are as people, their values. So this is where I was talking about self-reflection. If you've done that self-reflection, you will know I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. You, you know, you will uncover all these things about you. So if you understand yourself better, then you understand what type of person will fit with you, and what type, and importantly, what type of person probably will not fit with you. Um, but if that's not been done, then then you like, as you said, it's like a checklist. But like you said, you can have a checklist of all the right things, but your personalities are complete clashes, and you're just not going to get on because of the personalities. So the personality thing needs to be really worked on, um, and yeah, you know, people can 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 uh, meet. And talk, but the problem is if the if the if the if the speaking and conversation is not structured, it's just conversation, and you can go around conversations for a long time without understanding the person. So the the even the conversation, the questions have to be really tailored, um, so that you can uncover what type of person am I dealing with here, and is it the kind of person that I'm going to click with or not? And one very small example could, because I think often the other thing, both before marriage, but particularly an issue during marriage, is people's trajectory can change. Where mm-hmm. one person can be, start becoming a bit more religious, perhaps, yep. faster than the other one, and so you know they're almost going in different lines. And so, you know, a very small example might be: look, does one of them like going to the cinema, you know, or going out for socializing, and the other person really doesn't, or does it disagrees with that? So if if that's not addressed early on then that's going to lead to conflict isn't it because if it's a Friday night Saturday night and one of them saying look end of the week I had a tough week let's go to the cinema and the other one actually if it's Asian they'll be midweek for the two for one meerkat codes won't it <laughs> so that's where you meet any Asians really that are Muslims that you haven't seen for a while but you know then the other one will say actually no, I don't like going and so then that leads to conflict and a bit of resentment isn't it so I think these things really, you know, need to be ironed out. But really, once we've found somebody, um, you know, when we hear a lot in the news about celebrities, you hear about these prenuptials, you know, you know, to protect wealth, etc. Is there any concept of having prenuptial agreements or prenuptial contracts before they get ma- people get married? Or is that really setting, you know, starting off on the wrong foot, saying actually this ain't going to work, and I don't really trust you, and if it does, when it doesn't work. I've protected myself. So, yeah, I mean, prenuptials. Islamically, is it? Yeah, I mean, there's two aspects. There's, there's the Islamic perspective, there's the legal perspective. In places like America, prenuptial agreements are enforced by law. In some European countries, it's the same, but in British law, it's not. So it's just a moral thing. It's not enforced. It's not enforceable. Um, that's the current law. If it changes, then it might change. I think there is a push towards that, but up until now, it's been resisted. In terms of Islamically, uh, the, the this obviously the four schools we have, three of the four schools say that you shouldn't put any conditions. There should be no conditions in the the marriage uh, contract. The Hanbali school allows conditions to be put in, 
um, so that would be like a prenup. But there's another way around it in the Hanafi school, which is called tafweed. And tafweed is where, as we know, divorce, um, the husband can issue a divorce verbally but or written, um, but he can also uh, transfer that right to the wife. It's called tafweed. And this can be conditional. So it could be... So I had this case um, many years ago in uh, from one of my friends in Cardiff. He's a chef, a scholar, and he said, look... Got this, got this woman who wants to get married, but she had a really bad uh, first marriage. It was domestic abuse. She's considering marrying this guy, but he doesn't have a visa. And now she's just worried, just in the back of her mind, is he marrying her for a visa? Uh, she doesn't want to end up in the same situation she ended up the first time around. So because of the experience she had had, she wanted to put a condition in the contract to safeguard herself. Uh, he goes, what can we do? Because he's a Shafi. I said, well, well, you can't do it in a Shafi school. But I said, the way around it, in the Hanafi school, because they, they were Hanafis, I said that she can uh, put a tafweed into the contract where she can make it conditional that if you ever are violent towards me, then I have the right to divorce myself. And then that way, if that ever happened, then she could divorce herself out of the situation and not be you know, uh, uh, led astray. Uh, or abused so in some situations it can work in some situations can work for 9 out of 10 cases people are going to get married in in good faith and it's probably not going to be as applicable but where there's a fear or there's a genuine concern then that is one way around it Okay, and what about this aspect of um, because the whole Courting process, or you know, the it's going to see a rishta and having your samosa in there, your cup of tea, right? Digestive, so digestive, digestive. You can tell a lot from what biscuit you get served at it. Samosa and tea. If you get a bit of rasku, man, you know, they, they can tell they want you. No, no. So uh, just don't start dunking your rusk in the tea when you're there. It's <laughs> not going to leave a good impression. So you know, if, <laughs> and then slurping your tea <laughs> in the saucer. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, because that's a really artificial process. Everyone's on their best behaviours, etc. And um, but that whole um, process is is often quite, you know, nobody talk, nobody really addresses the real underlying mm. nitty gritty issues. Do you want kids? Are you going to work? Are you going to live with our parents and stuff? So, what about this whole aspect of living with the outlaws? I mean, in laws, right? Is is an expectation so is that an Islamic thing that look you get married so if it's my wife you need to live with my mum and dad and me for the first few years learn the habits of my household um, understand our culture and basically from the wife's perspective is living torture for a couple of years right and can't wait to get out and constant argument with the mother-in-law so I mean what's your advice around that because you know you can tell so many mother-in-law jokes right but the reality is the in-laws is a massively big factor when marriages aren't working, aren't they? And often the guy's stuck in the middle. Mum's saying, oh, Janet's at my feet, you need to listen to me. Wifey's saying, I'm going to cut off your feet if you don't listen to me. <laughs> so well, talk us through this whole idea. of In-laws is, is a really toxic, difficult relationship. How do we make sense of it? How do we try and work something out around that? Yeah, so the first thing that you were talking about in terms of just going around for samosa and tea, I mean, I've mentioned this before that, you know, the way things are going, it's not so, that's not working anymore and we have to get beyond a superficial meeting. 
So if people need to meet more than once, it's fine. I mean, they need to... I'd rather people ask all the questions they need to ask, you know, take their time, not be rushed into anything and make a proper decision rather than rushing into something. The worst thing I hate is when I've got a couple, six months, a year later, and um, you're asking questions, and just as you rewind the tape, it's so obvious that they didn't, they rushed into it, they didn't, they didn't ask, so there's certain, certain things I'll ask, um, oh, did you not ask this question? No, I didn't. Did you not ask this question? No, I didn't. So, so many questions, you'll be uh, surprised the how people get married these days, they don't ask so many, so many questions that you would think are obvious, people don't ask them for whatever reason it is, so definitely people should not rush, they should take the time. And in terms of the in-laws question is, uh, I mean, Islamically, there's no obligation to, to live with the in-laws, but like I said before, just because something is permissible or you don't have to do it doesn't mean you don't do it. So, um, I mean, the husband uh, only needs to provide the base, you know, minimum for food and drink, but if he just brings you know, the cheapest um, bread that he can find in the, su in the supermarket. You know, goes at night time, gets all the 10p ones and uh, gets some cheese or something and just says, OK, there you go. The wife's not going to be happy because, yes, I mean, in terms of the bare, bare minimum, yeah, he's he's technically, he's ticked that box off, but that's not the spirit of marriage. So um, a lot of people do live with the in-laws um, because, you know, they... They were they had that kind of um, upbringing themselves. What I tend to say to people is, um, that's fine if you want to live with your your in-laws. That's fine to begin with. Um, everybody wants a happy household. However, you should always have that discussion with the person that okay, I'm willing to live with your family, but if things don't work out, if we're at each other's throats, we just want to kill each other. Do you accept that we should move out? So get that agreement from the beginning uh, because people will do that people will say yeah I'm, I'm willing to live with your your mother but then that's it they, they don't ever think things might not work out so I always say to them did you not say and they say no I didn't I say well you should ask that question that look I'm fine I'll, I'll do it but if things don't work out are you happy that we move out and you really should get that agreement because you don't know how the future will pan out it's interesting that's often you know any informal advice I give you know, any newly married couples, if they ask me, is, I don't say, I say, don't think you're never going to move out. What you need to work out is when's the right time to move out, because it's inevitable at some stage, in many cases, unless it's, you know, majority, you have to stay for parents are elderly, you have to look after them, you're going to have to leave. It's best to leave at the right time on the right terms, rather than everything's become so messy, so, you know, relations have broken down. Naturally, you know, even if you stay till you have some kids, you know, it's going to, the house is going to be get busy at some stage. You're going to have to move out, so it's almost a matter of timing. Not, you know, sometimes people have a very unrealistic views saying, "Actually, I'm going to stay at home forever," you know, and that's it. And you're going to live with my parents and stuff. So, um, and if there's it's a, a tricky one. If there's several siblings, then the parents can, you know, visit, um, like have a spare room or something, and then come stay a few days uh, with one one kid and then spend a few days with a kid and you know so they kind of shade out like that just by extension shake um we're getting a few questions in anonymous anonymously um i take it you know as you've mentioned these things need to be discussed prior to getting married but there's questions coming in about chores about the husband doing well not doing chores rather again 
it's just extending that to not just discussing where you're living and arrangements regarding that, but also about every aspect of your life, working, chores as well, financial. These things should be discussed beforehand and not after you've got married because it seems to be a theme that, you know, the expectations from the husband or the expectations of the wife, the, 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 the partner or the spouse doesn't know what to expect. Yeah, you should, you should know what you're getting yourself in for because the understanding should be, I'm in this for life. So if you're going to be doing this for the next 40 years of your life, then you should know what you're getting yourself in for. So you should you should know what your expectations are as a wife. Uh, the, the husband should know what his expectations are as a husband. Uh, if there's family expectations, um, then the girl should ask, what is your family's expectations of me as a daughter-in-law, etc. Get as much information as you can because you want to make an informed decision. Okay. I mean, there's um, other questions to do specifically with, like, changing daughters nappies I think some dads have some issues with that is there anything which would prohibit that is the dads have got the issues or the mums have got issues the mums got the issue that the father refuses to what's the problem he just refuses to change the, the daughter's nappy cause, oh, he ref- yeah she's got an issue that he's refusing yeah mm. I mean um, look end of the day there's if you want to go down you know what are What's the thick element of it? What's the legal, um, the bare minimums, right? That's one one way to go. However, what you should, when it comes to marriage, you should look at is the, what is the spirit of marriage. So if you look at the Prophet the hadith in Bukhari is, Kana fi ahlihi, that he was, the Prophet was, was, was always helping out in the house. He would sweep the floor, he would um, just basically help out in the house. So that was the Prophet, the, the best of all creation so the idea is you're supposed to help out um, the wife's supposed to help out the husband's supposed to help out you're supposed to help each other out um, now uh, in terms of because because uh, the reason I was asking you the question because there's some women uh, that, that seem to uh, think that it's not permissible for the father to change especially a girl's uh, nappy that's why I was asking you for clarification um, I mean it's permissible and uh, look any guy uh, doesn't want to see the sight of poo. Um, it's not the most exciting thing in the world that you, especially if you just had your dinner. It's not the most exciting <laughs> thing in the world that you want to. So it sounds at. like you're talking from experience here, Sheikh. Uh, well, you know, um, <laughs> 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 yeah, I had twins, you know, so uh, I was kind of forced to 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 do that. You had no you option then. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't, couldn't do one at least. You couldn't leave the the wife by herself in it, um, but. You know, it's it's very different because, say, my granddad, I'm sure he's never changed a nappy in his life. Apparently my dad changed one nappy once, and that was me, and he did that the wrong way around. Um, so that, and then that was five kids. So, you know, it's a cultural shift um, of what the expectations of a husband were in the past and what they are now. So if it's, um, if it's you know, because it's uh, a lot of work, you know, that the wife's out or something in your, in your, your baby's than a poo then it's not very fatherly to let your baby run about in poo for a couple hours just because you don't want to change the the nappy in life you've got to do things that you don't really um you don't really uh you know uh, get excited about i remember um one day my wife had gone and so my kids are all under five so um i think it was by 11 o'clock i changed two nappies and uh washed two bottoms and and uh, what happened was that uh, uh, Scotland had beat. Who did they beat? 
Scotland had had, had Scotland has often beat anyone. Yeah, they, they beat they beat um, Ireland in the rugby. So I put a Facebook status. I said it's been it's been a day of it's been a, no. I was a WhatsApp message. I said it's been a day of ups and downs. I had to wash five bottoms, but Scotland won the the rugby. Umran, <laughs> we've got another comment. Uh, yeah. So basically, the question regarding finding the balance between telling um, or making public the fact that you're engaged. I'm reading from this and protecting yourself from another as opposed to gossip. Or should you only tell people who are close to you or trusted during, I'm assuming it's referring to the engagement period? The engagement, the, 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 there's two purposes behind the engagement. First of all, the, the engagement is only a promise. It's not, it doesn't have any value in terms of legal value. Although if there is exchange, uh, exchange of gifts and stuff, there are, there are some readings regarding that. But one of the purposes of khitbah is, the engagement is to to allow people to know that these two people are getting married and so then when that happens then it it means that other people will not come forward to propose because there is prohibition that once uh, a rishta is done that another person doesn't propose somebody should not propose on the proposal of his brother and there's one of the questions that uh, in the list that you had there was about um, you know, can you propose to somebody who've, who's consented? And the answer is no, you can't. So the purpose of the ma- of the engagement is to allow people to know these people get married, and then it, it means that other people don't come forward to propose. So that at least you have to go on to read Ramadan and announce it, but at least your family, your close friends, your cousins and stuff, they, these people should know it. I mean, why are you keeping it a secret? Eventually they're going to get married. I don't understand why would you want to keep it a secret. Like if people want to gossip, yeah. people gossip anyway. Another question has come in um, from a female uh, sister. It says, can you read your nikah and stay at your parents' house and then move in with your husband after due to family commitments? As long as not 20 years later. <laughs> right, um, but yeah, th- this um, this is another, um, again, uh, phenomena that you're probably seeing a lot more of is people get the nikah done. Um, however, they don't live together until six months or a year later. And um, personally, I don't, I, I'm actually quite in favour of this because what happens is a lot of people will want to get married, but their parents say, no, you need to finish your education or it's training or, like they said, there's family commitments. But then what happens is th- those young people, they end up talking to each other, they end up going out with each other. So rather than them getting involved in anything sinful behaviour, it's better that the nikah is read. Nikah's going to take five minutes. So nikah's done, it's a contract, they're married. So if they do meet up, if they do talk to each other, it's fine, they're married. If they want to then um, not do the, what's called the rukhsati or living together until a, six months later or a year later or two years later or three years later for whatever reasons, studies, um, you know, whatever it is, then inshallah there's, that's a lot better, a lot better situation than having a long engagement where they're going out and they're behaving like a married couple when they're not because that's, that's they're going to fall into sinful behaviour. But Sheikh, I want to focus on two aspects at least in the next, um, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, and the first one is really intimacy. So I guess there's the whole aspect of m- once you're married is maintaining a healthy marriage. And, um, you know, there's a very common saying about, you know, having the seven-year itch, you know, that, you know, you kind of get used to each other and at that point you kind of grow apart or get bored of each other, you know, as the spark gone. So could you could you comment a bit about how do you maintain that healthy relationship? And also, I guess... 
Um, how important is this aspect of intimacy? And I know it's not something people particularly feel they can talk about or seek advice about, but obviously the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife um, is such an important aspect as well. So could you share some of your thoughts around these areas? Yes, yeah, so I think um, it's, it's um, extremely important intimacy, extremely important part of um, the, the married uh, couple's life. Um, like you said, you know, after a period of time, you will become accustomed to the person. And um, like I said, if you're if you're only in it for the looks, then eventually the reason for being the marriage will go. So it's one aspect of the marriage, but it should not be the fundamental aspect. There should be other more important things. And so if it's if there's other things which are there and they're still there, then obviously the reason for being the marriage is still going to remain. In terms of physical attraction, I mean, there's a, a, a narration of Ibn Abbas, and uh, he was seen kind of looking in the mirror, and you know, he's like grooming himself, you'd say. And uh, they asked him, like, "What are you doing?" Like, and he said, "I am beautifying myself just the way I would like my wife to beautify herself for me." So it's a two-way process, and unfortunately, one of the things that we don't understand is the high rank that your spouse has in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is somebody that, for example, you're, uh, you have no aura in front of them. You know, other people, there's a certain part of the body you need to cover, even in your appearance. Um, you can't show them certain parts of your body. The one person you can show every part of your body to is your spouse. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how does he describe them? Hunna libasun lakum wa antum libasun lahun. They are garments for you and your garments for them. So it's a very close, very intimate relationship, and that's the way it should be. So that indicates to you um, how important that physical proximity is. Now, uh, going back to that thing of what Ibn Abbas was saying when he looked in the mirror and said, I adorn myself uh, for my wife because I, I like her, I want her to adorn herself for me. One of the problems that we have is that we, after a period of time, we get comfortable with our spouse and we stop making an effort for for them not understanding that this if you do make an effort it will be something that's rewarded so when do most people make an effort um, uh, about how they look uh, well either they're going out, f- out to work um, or usually it's for a social function so it's a dinner or a wedding what happens the women get themselves dolled up the husbands get their best suits out you know the, the uh, these days some guys even do facials and let's not get into that um, but you know this is this is what happens. So what happens is, what is the message you're you're sending out? You're sending out that I'm I'm ready to beautify myself for the world. But I'm not ready to beautify myself for you because when you come home, you get back in your gym jams, your tracksuit bottoms, the makeup comes off, the hair goes everywhere. Do you understand? So the point is that the one person you're supposed to make all that effort for, you don't, and the people you're not supposed to make the effort for. It, you know you do so it's the other way around what you should be doing is in your home you should actually uh, try to beautify yourself for the sake of your spouse and it's a two-way thing not just a, for for males but uh, but for females uh, as well and the thing is uh, and I, I, I talk about this in the, in the marriage course if you look at all the research that's done men are more visual beings than than women that's just proven so um, it's very important for women, so to speak, not to let themselves go. In other words, take care of, especially when you have children. You have children, it becomes tiring, you maybe stop working out, 
you start eating all sorts of stuff. You can e- you can easily let yourself physically go. It's very important to um, re- try to remain in good physical condition for both uh, couples. So really, there just should be a bit more effort. Uh, what happens is because you're in your house. It's all right if my hair's all over the place. Sorry right if I haven't. If I look a mess. Nobody's there, and we're all guilty of it. Every single one of us guilty is guilty of it. Uh, but this is where we all need to put that extra bit of effort in. And also, you know, um, I two things I would say, um, try to keep things alive. So, you know, just if you've been wearing the same aftershave, I would say, for the last 15 years, change it. You know, you don't have to just keep buying Old Spice. You can buy Brut, for example, yeah? <laughs> um, and the other thing is that sometimes, as they say, that distance makes the heart grow fonder. So to have a break from each other, is actually good. So get away. Um, I mean, I, I get a lot of breaks because I go away to teach or I might go on Hajj or something. And then you see your wife after three weeks or four weeks, you're happy to see each other because you've been away. So what's been happening and blah, blah. If you're always with each other all the time, you, you, it's human nature, you start getting each other's nerves. So having a bit of distance is actually a, a good thing. And in terms of uh, what can you do if... Um <clears throat> One spouse has a different libido in terms of their sex drive than the other. I suppose one is um, particularly—I <laughs> don't know why you're laughing. Shay. It's an important issue because I guess in some relationships, um, the, the disparity. <laughs> Sheikhs get carried away here. Um, no, but that's often a reality, and that leaves a bit of conflict, doesn't it? In terms of um, if one person in the marriage is not satisfied with the level of intimacy compared to the other? Um, this is something that, that obviously both couples have to negotiate. They have to... See, one of the things that, that, that especially in this area, and intimacy... But this, um, I guess this whole aspect of intimacy is really important, isn't it? And I think there's one that's not talked about, and I guess there's on a wider point, sh- should we not talk about it? Or is it important to talk no, about it? I, ha- I think the thing is... I think it's got to a point where we have to talk about these things because we've gone. I think we've gone beyond um, trying to not address things, and not addressing things doesn't really get us anywhere. Um, so I think intimacy is still one of those things which is a bit taboo. People are a bit uncomfortable even to hear about it or talk about it. But um, let's face it: we live in a highly sexualized society where um, sex is pushed down your throat, whether it's through. Um, TV, whether it's through songs, whether it's through whatever medium it is. And so if people are not satisfied in their marital lives, if they go outside that, it leads to adultery, it leads to fornication, and that obviously has a detrimental effect on society. So it has to be a place where they both can um, mutually satisfy each other. Now, what I was going to say was before was there has to be... Um, good communication with with intimacy because it's a taboo thing. If one of them maybe is frustrated or it's um, not satisfied, they they may not or have difficulty trying to communicate to that communicate that to the other person. So communication's got to be really important. I always say to people if you can't you can't if you can't talk about it then you know there's lots of ways now you can you can message each other, you can write an email, you can put in a letter whatever way you feel comfortable of explaining how you're feeling. If the other person doesn't know how you're feeling, how are they going to address it? And it's about each um, each spouse understanding the needs of the other person and that I have a responsibility to help 
um, in, the, in the needs of uh, my partner and, and you get rewarded for it there's a reward for every single time you do this there's a hadith where the Prophet says to the Sahaba uh, that in the private parts of your your spouses is sadaqah and they said Ya Rasulullah how do we get rewarded for, for having intimacy with our, our spouses and the Prophet says if you engaged in haram uh, activities like fornication would they be sin and they said yes he said well if there's sin for doing it the wrong way then there has to be reward for doing it the right way so intimacy being intimate with your, your partner and uh, over and above that trying your best to take care of their physical needs is a huge reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, people vary you know people people's needs are, are, are varied like you said some people have a high sex drive some people have a low sex drive and there has to be somewhere in the middle they have to meet so I had a couple where um, the sister sister had a very low sex drive and the husband I, w- I don't think, I wouldn't say it's high but um, see, let's say it was. It wasn't. They weren't at the same level, and we had to compromise. We had to say, "Look, okay, what do you think is reasonable?" She said, "Once a month," and I said, "What do you think is reasonable?" And he said, "Well, I think once a week." So I basically got them to compromise. Okay, let's meet in the middle once every fortnight. You know, so there's there's there's, there's ways of trying to, you know, a bit of a bit of give and take from both sides, and you can come to some sort of solution. I appreciate it's a very sensitive topic, but I think if we don't address these issues, people we'll get the information from elsewhere, isn't it, Sheikh? So it's better they get information from a good source. But, uh, you know, in this, um, before we move on to our next topic, I mean, in this whole aspect of intimacy, are there things that you are not allowed to do between a husband and wife, and what can you do in terms of <coughs> relationships? I mean, the general principle general principle is that um, uh, you are allowed to enjoy your spouse in every way that you would like to. Uh, there are obviously um, prohibitions, and the prohibition is um, anal intercourse, which is is haram in the, according to the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. But you know other other forms of enjoyment, um, as long as there's nothing impermissible, like this, and there's no impure fluids um, that are swallowed and things like that, then it's uh, generally uh, open. Okay, so let's spend the last part of the show on um, divorce, um, and uh, obviously with this whole topics, so you could spend days on them. But I guess this uh, one question we've got um, from one of the listeners: um, Is there grounds for divorce if one spouse had an affair and not entirely corrected the behaviour after this? So we'll talk a bit about divorce, etc. But on this particular question, to get us going, I mean, what's what are the issues around this, and how how should uh, somebody deal with that? Um, I mean, it is grounds for divorce because it's immoral behaviour. Um, but we have to really explore how did that happen? Um, what were the circumstances that led to that? Like I said, we were talking about before about intimacy. If if one person's not satisfied, or um, maybe uh, you know has a high sex drive, and the other person doesn't understand that. Is that what's led to it? Is it that they're unhappy? They're um, they don't feel they're getting enough attention, and they, they're getting enough, uh, and they're getting attention from someone else from outside. Was is that the cause? There can be a number of um, reasons or causes of of why this is happening. So first thing would be why has it happened? 
Um, and secondly, if they're not correcting the behaviour, why are they not correcting the behaviour? I would say that they sense something not right with that relationship. There's something they're, they're, that person's not happy with. <coughs> just wanted to ask um, with regards to um, when to throw the towel in, because some people I know, the grounds for divorce or the reasons for divorce seems to be minor, something that could potentially be worked out. So at what point is there, you know, what, what point do we say, you know, this is not going to work and we're going to go our separate ways. How long should you persist and trying to make if it If it's work? minor, they should get, they should get like, um, outside help to help them discuss these things because they may regret it. They might go for it. I know people who have got divorced. Uh, I remember I'm thinking of one case where sister was divorced twice and, and she said that um, I wish I'd worked at my first marriage more. She goes, the second one was a mistake, but she goes, the first one, I think I could have, if I'd just worked her a bit more. So... You don't want to be hasty, and uh, divorce is not. It's divorce should be a last resort after you've tried everything. So you try reconciliation, you try and work things out, and if it's untenable, then you can look at divorce. But ultimately, the question comes down to: um, Is there? I mean, is there potential for this marriage to to last the ground? Because, like I said, you go in with with it with a view of being it for for life. If you feel that, yeah, we can work things out and we can be together, I could see myself living with this person next 20, 30 years, fine. But if you're, if it's like um, uh, a disaster from the word go and um, you just hate each other's guts and it's just problem after problem, you just can't see eye to eye and you cannot see yourself being with that person for 30 years, in other words, your problems are so acute that you don't feel that you can overcome them to be with that person for that amount of time. In other words, you feel that eventually you're going to break or eventually they're going to break or eventually you run out of steam. Then that situation, is it better to get divorced after a year where there's no children or is it better to get divorced in six years' time when there's three kids involved? You know, And that's a decision that they have to really decide. So they have to look at everything and look at, um, you know, on the balance of, of everything, is it better... On the balance of everything, there's pros and cons, but is it better to be out of the marriage or is it better to be in the marriage? And if divorce does take place, that's another thing. We have to accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made divorce permissible. It's not haram. It is permissible. Um, and it's, he's made it permissible for a reason. And he's made it permissible because, in his divine wisdom, he knows that sometimes it just doesn't work out. People just don't get along. It's just not meant to be. You look at Sahaba, they're the best of people after the Prophets. Many of them got divorced and got remarried. So, you know, if it's not worked out with this person, you know, it shouldn't be that, you know, that's it, your life's over. No, okay, you didn't work out with this person. You try to divorce in amicable terms. Um, there's no need to and tell everybody what happened and the other person tells everyone, no, it was like this and like that and fight out in, in public. No, just say, didn't think, didn't, things didn't work out. Went your own separate ways. Khalas, you go and marry someone else, you go and marry someone else. Maybe it'll work out with someone else. And it's getting such a um, it's a wide, such a widespread issue, and in, in, even in in the, the sort of the general population, um, they're saying you know divorces are highest among people in their forties, and the average the median sort of duration of a marriage is about eleven to twelve years. So you know it's not necessarily all in the first or second year, um, and uh, I think about a third of marriages ended by the time they reached their fifteen year anniversary. Okay, so it's quite, you know, about a third of marriages aren't lasting more than 15 years. 
and uh, so, so you know, that's in the general population even in the Muslim population you kind of see a lot of these issues and marriage itself and that start remember people don't get as married as, as much as well yeah. because a lot of people cohabit so that's quite a starking uh, uh, you were telling me this anecdote about a, cater- what, a wedding caterer told, told you an interesting s- statistic. Yeah, so so um, one of the one of the persons actually sent me something. They were having a discussion with one of the um, caterers, and um, this caterer basically said that out of the twenty five um, weddings that they had done that year, seventeen had ended in uh, in divorce. Seventeen out of twenty five. Seventeen out of twenty five, which is um, it's quite astonishing. They're not cheap these weddings, are they? They're not, but this is the thing that you know. It's the, having big flash weddings is not what makes li- marriages last. Um, you know, it's and the thing is, you know, people. I mean, I've <laughs> a couple of recently. Just I was at a wedding, and the 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 guy on stage, the the groom was, you know, had the mic and he was saying, you know, uh, to the to the father-in-law, I I I love your daughter, and you know, I want to be the best husband and. Speeches like that doesn't mean anything, right? Because you don't even live with the, with the girl, right? You don't even know what it's going to be like. Don't make all these, you know, statements. We, you know, th- this this didn't happen in the past. There's no need for it. That's not what makes makes marriages work. What makes marriages work is from the beginning. Have you done all the research? Have you looked into this properly? Have you thought about it properly? And then, as you know, marriage is hard work. It's not easy. It's not you snap your fingers and everything's going to be okay. No, you will have your ups and downs. You will have times where, you know, you get in your the other person's nerves. They get in your nerves. There will be times that you let each other down. These are part and parcel of relationships. They go up and down, but you have to work at it. And when marriages aren't working, and as you said, it is permissible. I mean, what are the steps that need to be taken um, to end that marriage? So if if a marriage is not working out and they're going to proceed to divorce, what are the steps a couple need to take? Allah says in the Quran إِذَا خِفْتُمْ شِقَاقَ بَيْنِهِمَا فَبَعَثُوا حَكْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهَا If you fear discord between them, then send a mediator from her side, send a mediator from his side. إِنْ يُرِيدَ إِسْلَاحَ يُوَفِقِ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمَا If they want to be reconciled, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring tawfiq uh, between them. So, um, the way to look at it is if they get to a point where they're contemplating divorce they should get other people involved um, if they can't resolve it then go to maybe a, a third party who's not connected to them and then make sure that they've actually thought about everything before they make that decision so there's no regrets and do you want to talk about the actual process of what they need to do you know we hear a lot in the news uh, three dalaks and all that whole issue I mean what what is the proper way of or what's the best way of doing it and what's the thinking behind that because the idea from my understanding is opportunities to go back isn't it and, and so, think twice yeah so the, the, probably the biggest misconception um, that we have in our community um, in many in nearly every uh, different area I can think of is this idea that you have to give dalak three times you don't have to give talaq three times. In fact, it's, it's considered to be haram to do so. It's considered to be the worst type of talaq to give. It's actually called in Arabic, or in fiqh terms, talaq al-bid'ah. Um, it's the worst type to give. What, say, what they say is, ahsan al-talaq, or the sunnah, uh, al-talaq al-sunnah, 
is to give um, the person one divorce. Because if you give somebody one divorce, it's still divorce still takes place, but it gives you the opportunity that if you reconcile, you can get back together. Um, if you give three talaqs on three separate occasions, then everybody says the, the, the marriage is over, you need to go now marry someone else. If three talaqs are given at one instance, according to the four schools, it counts as three. There is an opinion, but even time yet it counts as one. So again, you're on shaky, shaky grounds again. Um, but if there's anything that you, you know people can understand from the the whole chapter of divorce is one thing, you do not have to give three talaqs. One talaq is more than sufficient. If you are contemplating it, you should go go and see an imam, go and speak to somebody. I think in Central Mosque they give you like a a, a form, which has got it all written out for you. you. Just put your name in, and it ensures that you only give one talaq, and it's and it's written writing. So it means that it's all above board. It gives you that scope that if things do improve or you want to get married, then you could get we uh, can get uh, back together again. And what about the interplay between religious divorce and a sort of civil law sort of thing? So should you give your religious divorce first and then get lawyers sort out so, all the legal stuff? Or yes. How should it work? So there's three there's three situations. Whether it does a, a legal divorce count as an Islamic divorce is a critical question. In two situations it does, one situation it doesn't. So there's three scenarios. One scenario is the husband uh, initiates the civil process, so he serves the Islamic uh, or he serves the divorce papers, or the wife serves the divorce papers and the husband agrees, signs them, agrees to it. In both circumstances, um, he will the, the Islamic divorce will take place when you get the civil divorce through, because the husband consented to it, and by giving consent, it's as if he's made the court his agent in issuing a divorce on his behalf. The situation where um, it doesn't count is where um, she has initiated the process, served the divorce papers, it's come through and he's not signed them, he's not consented to it, and the court's gone ahead and just divorced him. Then in that situation, you need a separate Islamic divorce. Okay. Sheikh, we're coming towards the end of our time. We've covered quite a lot of topics, ranging from finding a spouse, um, what are the factors we should be looking for, you know, some aspects of maintaining a healthy relationship and intimacy, talking about when marriages don't work and divorce. Um, could you just sum up really in a few words in terms of what advice would you give the listeners in this whole area of marriage? Because it's obviously, you know, it's such a big issue in one's life. Um, it can either make you or break you, isn't it? I mean, either if it's not working out, it's really traumatic for everyone involved, extended families. It is really causes fractures, you know, breaks people apart for, for many, many years. For some people, it's the happiest thing that could happen with them, and inshallah, you know, there's blessing in it and so much benefit. So what advice would you leave the listeners with um, in this whole domain? And obviously we're going to touch on some further aspects next weekend, but in terms of the things we've talked about, what advice could you give the listeners? I think um, don't take this lightly. Don't think that it can't happen to you. Um, don't uh, go into a marriage without doing your homework, prepare as much as you can, research as much as you can, think about things. Um, you know, al-ajilu hadith says, haste is from shaitan, don't be hasty, don't rush into anything. Um, those who are married, 
um, when things are starting to go wrong, go and seek advice. Don't wait until there's a big problem, because once it gets to a, it gets to such a problem, such an extent where the problem's too big, it becomes almost um, very difficult for anybody to try and reverse it. So don't let it get to that point. Um, uh, marriage is is not easy. It's is difficult, but you know, earning a earning a living, running a business, um, you know, other things in life require effort. So we know that we have to put in effort for things to, to flourish. Marriage is the same thing. No one's going to come along and wave a wand and make your marriage better. The pair, people are going to make your marriage better as you and your partner. So it really comes from yourself. There's no point blaming other people. You have to look inward and try to, um, as a couple, I mean, I had a couple the other day, and I said, look, at the end of it, I just said, look, forget everybody. Forget your families. Forget all the other people involved in this. It's you two. If you two cannot make this work, all these other uh, people that you bring into the equation are irrelevant. Because if you can't make it work, then everything is not going to work. So I said, forget everybody else. Just focus on you two as a couple. Can you resolve your issues? Once you resolve your issues, then we'll look at the the rest. So in other words, you're primary. Everyone else is secondary. So sometimes it's about focusing on themselves and not getting carried away with he said this and he said that and you know I don't get on with his mom and all the rest of it. These are all secondary th- relationships. The primary relationship is the couple themselves. And although you don't offer sort of an emergency service, but people can get hold of you and contact you. Um, could you just advise people how they can? Yes. So um, people can contact me through Unity Family Services. Um, there's an email on the website, and they just ask for an appointment. They will ask a certain que- a few questions. The email comes through to me, and then uh, it's quite a confidential. Service. It's very confidential. No one, no one sees the, the the answers to those questions apart from me, and then I will advise what the next um, uh, stages are. I do run regular courses, a pre-marriage course and a marriage course, and uh, sometimes I ask people if they, why they've not attended. They say, "Oh, I'm embarrassed because people might think I've got problems," and you know, like I say, look, it's like. Any like um, profe- like you have in um, uh, your careers, you have a continuous professional development. What do you do? What do you do these courses for? Because it's ongoing training. It's to increase your skill set to become better at what you do. So if you're happy in your marriage, don't you want to be happier? If you're happy in your marriage, don't you know rest in your loyals. Things can happen very quickly. So come to the course and you'll learn about what makes uh, marriages work, what are the things to look out for, so inshallah you don't fall into that. Uh, and do you have any rough idea when the next ones are? The next, the, ma- the next marriage course will be in August, inshallah, the 20th of August. I'm just arranging that and I'll put it onto my Facebook once it's... Thank you so much, Sheikh Amr, for spending your valuable time in this area, which is your expertise, and you spent a lot of years studying for this. Uh, and we hope it's been beneficial. And the idea is obviously just to give you, the listeners, a taster of some of the issues... Um, that you know people have been contacting us about, and obviously really encourage people to you know prepare themselves and by attending some of these courses or there's lots of other sort of courses available is to educate yourself around these issues because these are not quick issues. You need to think about them. You need to digest things. You need to think about yourself. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit digging deep. Yeah, you know, really dig, digging deep in your soul and seeing the issues that are out there. Um, but Jazakallah Khair, so tomorrow's Cradle to the Grave with Sheikh Amr is on parenting. Um, there's further details on our Facebook and you can again send us questions anonymously. There's a form link available, so please do send in your questions. And you can also submit questions for next week. Next week we're going to talk a bit about 
uh, marriages part two, so things like forced marriages, uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse. So, Jazakallah khair. Um, please remember Sheikh in, in your du'as. May Allah continue to give him strength and benefit. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.